Good morning, my name is Dan Keller, and uh, I am going to be your guest speaker this morning, and I am extremely humbled by the fact that God has allowed me this privilege to speak to you today. I, um, I've got to tell you, a couple of weeks ago, I, um, in my devotion time, saw something that I, I thought, man, that's, that's an impressive point that speaker was saying in that book. And uh, I said, I'd like to share that with people. And the next morning, Tri called, and he said, would you be available to preach on the 5th? So I said, well, thank you, Lord. And, and there it was. Uh, I, I enjoy getting with a crowd of people and sharing with them, and, and I get to know them. And, and, you know, this is so special because I look out at this church family that we've been a part of, and, and I feel so privileged uh, who was it, Lou Gehrig, one time, stood there on the mound after finding out that he had the, uh, the uh, disease that he was diagnosed with, and, and he said, today I'm one of the luckiest people on the face of the earth. Today I feel like I'm one of the most blessed people on the face of the earth to have a congregation like this that I could call friends and I could call family. And, and so it's with that thought that I'm going to go into the scriptures today. Uh, and by the way, I always... I always like to judge the type of crowd that I have before me. So I often will tell people that uh, today, you know, I got, I got dressed today and I put on my, my Ishmael slacks and I wait to see what kind of reaction I get. And uh, then I could tell the degree of growth in some of them because then they realize that, oh, it's because they come from Hager. Uh, kind of, yeah. <laughs> hey, I do want to tell you how pleased I am to be here today. Um, I, I, you, know, you saw that I had been wearing this sling for a couple of months. The sling is gone. I've got full rotation now. I've got a little gal that's a physical therapist, and and I have a special re respect for these people now. And she stands about 5'2", and, and I don't know if she weighs 100 pounds or not. And um, she's been working on my shoulder, and now we've got, you know, I don't have much strength in there. I'm looking forward, though, in the next few weeks to get a little strength back in the shoulder. And one of the things I want to do, the first thing I want to do is get up here and, and sing a song. Pull the guitar and sing a song. Um, Marta Osler. Now, I don't know... <laughs> If, if all physical therapists carry a, a blood pressure cuff or not. You know, yeah, I didn't know this. So I got up, had an early appointment the other morning, and, uh, and I, I got up and I really didn't have a good night's sleep. And I uh, felt just a little bit, you know, a little, just, just kind of a little dizzy and so I got to the appointment and I said, Marta, I said, you may have to go easy on me today. I said, I think I've got, my blood pressure is acting up. And she said, really, do you have something to check it? Well, I said, I do. I, I, I've got a cuff and I've got a uh, stethoscope, but I said, I also have a little quick device I put on my wrist. And she said, well, did you check it today? I said, no, I could just tell that it's, it's off a little bit today. And she said, well, let's see, she says. And this gal jumps in her bag of tricks and she pulls out her cuff. And, and she said, let's check your blood pressure. She checks my blood pressure. And she said, oh, your blood pressure is great. 
She said, your heart beats strong. Let's get to work. <laughs> so it's like the dog ate my homework. Didn't work. And, and so there I am. Well, good morning to you. Um, I've got just three things I want to share with you today. And let me just start by saying this. There's not one of us here today that wasn't moved, wasn't motivated to accept Jesus Christ as Savior without the ministry or the service of another believer. Even if that person that touched our life didn't realize the essence of their ministry. Somebody says, well, I, I read a pamphlet, Dan. I, um, one of the great joys of my life was leaving a, a brochure with, uh, with my father at the hospital one time. And uh, on the back, if you accepted the Lord and prayed this prayer, it was a little Billy Graham. And uh, my dad signed that. And so glad to be able to visit with him and to see the growth that took place in his final years. So even if you've come to know the Lord and it wasn't because you prayed with somebody, somebody presented that gospel to you somehow, some way. Somebody's working in a radio station somewhere. Somebody's in the printing press somewhere. I have a friend that uh, went to school with and, um, and, and he was a heavy drinker at the time, not while we were in school, before he became a Christian. And he got home one Saturday afternoon, and he was inebriated, and he laid down on the couch. And several hours later, he's hearing the television was on all this time, and it ended up going to a Billy Graham crusade. And he's hearing all this as he's semi-awake, semi-asleep. And uh, he, he gets up at the end, and Billy Graham is inviting people. And he said, Danny said, I, I so God was standing there and said, you need to kneel down and accept me as Savior. And uh, he ended up as a pastor on the East Coast. It's amazing how God touches our lives. So there's only three things I want to talk to you about today. Who we are. Uh, number one, who we are. And number two, I want to visit with you a little bit about what is interfering in your walk and staying steady. And, and staying consistent in your daily walk. And that's so hard to recognize that. We struggle. And then number three is uh, I want to visit with you on where you need to be. And so first of all, who we are. Uh, several years ago, and, and Ben, I'm going to get a picture blown up. I have you standing there as a, a bat boy on a softball team. I coached the girls' softball team. And they're a bunch of farm girls. And what a great bunch of kids it was to work with. And so first, first base, Amy Hamilton. I don't know if any of you knew Dr. Ray Hamilton, the dentist, his daughter. And Amy was a, a tall girl. And, and so we're playing an evening game over at the college. And the ball is hit and, and goes over to third. And the girl pegs it over to Amy. And Amy stretches, you know, back there on the bag. And the girl running down the baseline somehow trips on Amy's foot. Even though there's two bags, she trips on Amy's foot, goes up in the air, flips over, and she lands on the ground. And, and there she is, knocked out cold. And she's hit the baseline, got this white chalk. So I run over, and the other coach comes over, and we gently roll her over. And, and I'm trying to brush some of this lime dust off. Got a ghostly look on the poor girl. And... And she starts to come to, and she looks up at me, 
and she says, who am I? <laughs> and, and, and then she looks around a little bit. She says, where am I? Kind of reminded me of that commercial for, I think it was a Snickers bar or something. The guy says, who are you? <laughs> and I'm a crime fighter. Um, well, this girl was knocked out. Who am I? So who are we? So if we look at some scripture on the cover there, Ephesians. Um, Ephesians chapter 1. A great portion of scripture, and I'm going to move quickly through this. Um, you can write these notes down. The scriptures are there. But in Ephesians, it identifies us a little bit. There are seven things that identify who we are. Number one, we are blessed. So often, and uh, where'd my friend Elisa go? Anyway, Elisa, uh, I look in the back and I see the bright windows, so I don't get, it's all like dark faces out here, unless you're in the front row. And um, when she talks about life is hard, and yet at the same time, as hard as it is, we are extremely blessed to know the goodness of God to know the gift of grace. We are blessed in verse 3. Verse 5 of Ephesians chapter 1, we have been predestined to an adoption of sonship. He makes us family. By the way, in the Old Testament, to be adopted had a higher standard of responsibility on the parents than it did on your natural-born children because God took them in and, and that family took them in, made sure that they were raised better, in fact. And so we're adopted, and it's predestined that when you come to know Christ, you're going to be part of that family. Um, verse number uh, six, we are recipients of God's grace freely given. Uh, last week in the Sunday school class I had with the fifth and sixth grade kids, we did the acrostic, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. You're saved by faith. And it's all because of what we call grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Verse 7, we have redemption, value through the forgiveness of sins. Redemption. I can remember as a child, back, back as a kid back in Elizabeth, New Jersey, and, and my dad, and when they would go shopping, they used to get stamps. Uh, you know, so many dollars, you got the plaid stamps, and some of you had uh, S&H green stamps. Yeah, raise your hand if you remember those stamps. Oh, yeah. Anybody got any books left around now? Yeah, they, and I can remember my dad counting these and sticking these things in, and then the day would come when you go down to the Redemption Center, and those books for all those stamps that you've been collecting for weeks, you go down and and, and I remember the little grill that he got one time, and another time he got a cooler. It had value. We have value. In God's eyes, we have value. Uh, who are we? Verse 9, we have been made aware of the mystery of his will purposed in Christ. Christ's purpose in Romans, predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Be Christ-like. Somebody sees you, you may be the only Jesus that they ever see. They may see Christ in your life. How important that is for us to recognize that, live with that responsibility. And then verses 4 and 11, we have been chosen for the purpose of his will. And again, that purpose, 
to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, years ago, I sat in a, a Deeper Life conference with Dr. George Mundell. Uh, I met Dr. Mundell. We had him over for dinner one evening. He was a guest speaker doing this conference. And it was through him that Pam and I were led to go full-time off to Bible college, sell our house, <laughs> sell everything we had, give away a dog, and off to Bible college we went. Dr. George Mundell at that time was 85 years old. He was one of the founders of the Philadelphia College of the Bible, the only man I ever met in my life that had completely memorized the Bible. You think you know the well, scripture well? <laughs> I'd give him a, a, a scripture reference, and he'd go, oh, wait a minute, that was verse 6. You wanted me verse 5. He'd go back. Uh, a brilliant man. And um, I had the chance to be, to be uh, brought up in my early Christian life through Dr. Wendell. And then verse, verse 13, we are marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. You have been given a stamp. Um, you know, your automobile has a, has a number on it. And that number, and you have a piece of paper that says that the number on that piece of paper that says you're the owner corresponds with the number on that vehicle. I, I have a friend that uh, buys and sells vehicles quite often, and he had a pickup there, and I had done him a favor. And, and I, he said, what do I owe you? And I said, oh, you don't owe me a thing. That's what a friend does. And, and I said, but when you go to the auction, I'd like you to find a four-door pickup so when I go cut firewood with my grandsons, I have lots of room. And uh, he said, well, see that Dodge over there? Take that Dodge. And so he gave me this vehicle and had four doors. What I didn't realize quite at the time was it was also made up of a couple of different things. He had a motor out of something, a cab here, and a box from another vehicle in the front. Anyway, puts them all together. And, and I've got this pickup. Ben had that pickup one time, was coming over the mountain, he and Sarah, and might have been going just a little fast because a highway patrolman pulled him over. And so he goes to check the number. None of the numbers matched. <laughs> I'm sorry, Ben. <laughs> I think that's when Ben decided it was a good thing he was a lawyer. <laughs> And, and so I'm over at the Holiday Inn, and I'm in the Holiday Inn at the at the uh, home show, standing in the booth. And uh, my my oldest son, Ben's older brother, Danny, is a police officer. And I get this panic call from Ben. Said, "Said Dad, none of the numbers here are matching on the registration." And oh, part of the other problem was I had registered a pickup for a grandson that was also a Dodge, and so I was not paying attention to the year. So I had that registration in there. So nothing, years, nothing matched. And uh, But ultimately, Ben got that all straightened out and had the people come up from Cheyenne and confirm that it was his vehicle. It was not a stolen vehicle. I said to Danny, standing there at the home show, I said, Danny, don't go away. You may have to go bail your brother out. And So who are we? Well, let's move on. Number two. What is interfering in your walk with Jesus? Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We often memorize Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. 
but learn verse 10 as well. We are his handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Today, people get this all backwards. They want to impress God, so they're going to do the good works to impress God to try to earn their salvation. Well, it's already done. But the good works are designed, the things that we're going to call works are designed that after you become a believer, you've placed your faith in Christ. You know you've been given the seal of approval and the seal of ownership of the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit in your life. It says, you who were dead in trespass and sins, he's made alive. So that dead spirit that I was born with, that human nature, now is alive because of the presence of the Holy Spirit God's given me. So what's interfering with our life? Ephesians chapter 6, and verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces evil in the heavenly realms. So we find here that the devil is in a battle, and this goes back to prior, before Adam and Eve, the fall of Lucifer that became Satan, and it's estimated a third of the angels fell and left heaven with him at that time. That battle for his kingdom and the power of the earth here for Christ's kingdom with Christ is still going on today. You are the battleground. You are the struggle. And so there's several different things that Satan's trying to do. Um, Galatians, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Let me get my right, right page there. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And that will of God is you become more Christ-like in your walk. And so I find here three areas that Satan works the hardest on. Um, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, Christ lives in me. So I find here three tools of Satan. Number one, lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes and pride of life. And the Lord deals with his people in this order. He deals with the surrounding world around you. You know, are you struggling with something? Who do you hang out with through the week? Who do you spend time with? Where do you go? Wednesday night. By the way, I'm going to see if anybody's interested. I'll do a study on sowing and reaping laws of the harvest on Wednesday night. If you're interested, talk to me after church. So God works in this order. He works on us through the world first. Then he works on us through the flesh. And of all the evil parts within us is the self-life. Satan uses these three to interfere with God's plan and his purpose for us. The flesh, the world, and the self. This is the downfall of Lucifer. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15 how you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down 
from the earth. You who once laid low the nations. Follow this. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the sons of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly, on the most, uh, on the Mount Heights of Mount Zephon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. I find here, this is so so common in our lives today, the battle with the self, and we find in Isaiah that Satan had eye trouble. I have eye trouble, and, and I'm struggling to see the small print, so I even enlarge as I make my notes, um, but I know in my heart where these verses are going, and eye trouble. He said, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. I, I, I. Remember Ricky Ricardo? I, 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 I. Yeah. And, and there's Saint I. There's spiritual eye trouble. Uh, you know, let me go back to the Old Testament. Joshua, chapter 6. Uh, Jericho, the conquest of Jericho. God gives a, doesn't make sense. He said, why don't you get the priests, get them and march around the town. We do this. And then on the seventh day, we're going to march seven times around, around the city. The walls fall. Jericho's conquered. Then the next place is a place called Ai. And so the spies are sent. They come back and say, oh, Ai's nothing. Ai's a, just send up a couple thousand. That's all we need. We don't need the whole army. Let the men rest. Man's wisdom, man's advice. And they go up the couple thousand, and they're routed. Several are killed. And there's Joshua laying on the ground, and he's, he's weeping. And God says, get up. Get up. That's the message I have for a lot of people that become victims. Get up. Get up. Move. And he talks to Joshua, and he said, you know what? You, you didn't obey. There's sin in the camp. Joshua goes through the way God wants him to find it out. And in Joshua chapter 7, we find a man named Achan, and he confesses. And Achan says, I saw the Babylonian garment and, and the 20 shekels of silver and and the bars of gold weighing 50 shekels i saw and i coveted and i took uh, by the way christians this is the progression of sin in all of our lives 85 percent of what you learn in this lifetime since you were born is learned through the eyes 85 percent the majority of everything you know was learned through the eyes Satan uses that because, as Aiken said, I saw, and then after it comes into the eyes, into the brain, we put it into motion. Well, wouldn't that Babylonian garment look good on me? You know what? I'll just take it. I'll, I'll bury it. No one will know. And, and then he put it into action. 
We see, we covet, and we put it into action. Whatever that sin is in our life, three-step process there. Um, Not unlike him. By the way, I have here five tactics of the devil. The enemy tries to prevent humility by promoting self-sufficiency. What did I say before? The greatest enemy that we have within our life is our self-nature. And so the enemy tries to oppose what God wants us to do by preventing humility. The enemy prevents unity by creating division. I can't tell you how many times I have seen people that split, separated, parted, whether it's just a friendship for sometimes things that were not in any way attached to Scripture, but based on selfishness. The enemy prevents unity by creating division. Number three, the enemy prevents joy by causing discouragement. I once read that Satan was going to have a yard sale down in hell. And there on the table was hatred, and he had a price tag on it. And there on the table was lust, and he had a price tag on it. And there on the table was discouragement, had an extremely high price tag on discouragement. And when the individual said, how come that's so high? He said, because when everything else fails to get a Christian to separate from God, I use discouragement. If you're feeling down in the dumps, maybe it's time to get back, get up, as God said to Joshua. Um, The enemy prevents commitment by encouraging complacency. There is one of the biggest, uh, I don't want to say the sin, but one of the biggest problems we see in churches today, complacency. The enemy prevents peace and closeness with God by us being so busy. Somebody said the, uh, the individual going to, so busy going to church, they lost sight of people that God was putting in front of their lives that they could have shared the gospel with. So there's five tactics of the devil. By the way, uh, some of you know I spent a little time in marketing, and um, in that marketing time, I, I learned some aspects about human nature, and I found that there are five, five types of people that uh, when we were dealing sales and and these five types of people are found in the church. And I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I don't think this church has any of these five, unless you want to raise your hand to it. Number one is a discontented person. The discontented personality always wants something more than what we have. Learning to lead the person with truth and grace is an art because they seem never to be satisfied. The discontented person no matter what. Then you have the negative person. This is the person that sees the glass half full. The sad thing is, most of those people had a full glass and they poured out half of it so they could be negative in their own life. Then the third person that you'll get, and uh, I would get this person, seems to me when I would go into a home and, and to sell them a product, the argumentative person. No matter what, they have to be right. 
And so I get that person to acknowledge that and say, you know what, you're probably right. Just let me ask you one more question and move on to the next step. And the argumentative person. And, and then we have number four. We have the what we call the duplicitous person. This is a person that will tell one person one thing and tell the other person something else. They'll tell you to your face one thing, but as soon as your back is turned, they'll say something else about you. That is probably the smallest number of people, and, and that person deals with a lot of problems. And then the fifth personality we have is what we call the apathetic. The apathetic. Um, this, this person, um, the apathetic just doesn't care. And I don't want to be put in a spot where I have to make a decision. You know what? I'm going to ask you today, though. As we talk about the things that oppose your growth, whether you're a teenager, whether you're eight years old, whether you're 80 years old, I'm not picking anybody on anybody here, Phil, but there's two of us. Uh, I'm going to ask you to make a decision. Phil's got a couple years on me yet. And um, I'm going to ask you to just consider something today, where God wants you to be. And, and I think that's so important. First um, Peter 4.10, we have been given gifts at our spiritual birth. Bible study, Wednesday night, we discussed the spiritual gifts. There's some 20 of them if you go through the, the four different. And by the way, Phil, thank you for that reminder, 12-12-4-4. It's been decades since I saw that. And we looked at these four portions of scripture and we come up with some 20 spiritual gifts. How many of you today, and I'll ask you to raise a hand, have experienced and know the spiritual gift that God gave you when you put your faith in Christ? Do you know what that gift is? Yeah, I got a hand up there. Yeah, and a couple of hands here. Amen. Do you realize that you probably have more than one more than two, and as your spiritual life grows and evolves, God allows that to be developed. But it's like anything else. It's like uh, Phil's got a natural talent to play that horn. Ben's got a natural talent. I think I gave Ben two guitar lessons as a young man. Um, he's got a natural talent. This natural gift born within him at birth you have to practice and play and practice and go over it again to develop that gift. The same in your spiritual gift. God has given you a gift. And to learn what one of the 20 gifts are in your life is so important for you to know that. Uh, moving on down. It's important to use whatever the gifts are so that we serve God. What is the ministry that God has given you are you serving? It all comes back to the self, a willingness of self, a willingness to serve. Remember John Kennedy? Uh, you're dating yourself now if you remember. Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. JFK. And I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. That was a great statement. As a believer, ask not what the church can do for you, but ask what you can do for the church. Ask not what God can do for you, but ask what you can do for God. You've been saved 
to serve. So, I, I guess I want to bring it to this point. The enemy is going to try to convince whatever you do that it's insignificant or unimportant. If he is successful in convincing you this, you can end up, as I said earlier, discouraged, discouraged, down to dumps, because he said, you're not important, and yet you are. Can I tell you this? If you were not important and God was finished with you here on earth and had no ministry for you on earth, you wouldn't be here. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke at a celebration of life for Dave Deercorn. Some of you may remember the name. Uh, I coached wrestling, and Dave was one of my assistant coaches. He was a bear of a man and loved the Lord and uh, always was thinking of some way, loved it when we would get together and, and pray. That may be the ministry God has given you, just to meet with somebody. When's the last time you shared a verse with somebody? And, and just, well, you know, don't be discouraged. Here's a verse. Uh, pull it out of the book of Philippians. Um, listen, here's, here's some individuals in the scripture. Are you ready to say, here I am, Lord. The angel called Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 4. The Lord called Moses out of the burning bush. He spoke to Moses. Moses said, here I am, Lord. Young boy named Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 4. The Lord called Samuel, called him several times, and he kept thinking that the high priest was calling. God up fine says, no, he said, God's talking to you. The Lord called Samuel, and he says, here I am. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8. Isaiah said, here am I, send me. I'm standing this morning, but I'm going to ask you to consider something. I'm not asking you to run out, see, try and sign up and say, yeah, I want to do this or I want to do that. I just want to know if you're willing, if you're willing to say, as these other servants of God did, here I am. That's all I want to ask you today. Are you going to stand I'm standing. Would you stand with me as well? And here's what I want to tell you about standing. You stand, yeah, and you stand out, and that's okay, because we're not ashamed of the gospel of God. If God is speaking to you this morning, and he's asking you, would you just consider being part of a ministry, of a service that I have? Then perhaps you want to stand. When I was in Bible school, I... Uh, had a friend, Mike was six foot seven, big guy, and, and he ran about 360 pounds. And I sat next to him at a table in this classroom, and it was a late evening class we were in one night, and he fell asleep, and I saw his mouth open. And he's, he's kind of snoring there, and, and so I, I nudged him on the rib. I said, and, and the class was not over. The teacher was still speaking. And I nudged Mike on the ribs. I said, Mike, I said, uh, the teacher would like you to close in prayer. And Mike jumped up and he stood there and he started to pray in the middle of class. <laughs> Looked like a Pentecostal church for the moment. <laughs> there was Mike and, and he's praying and the teacher looked up at him wondering what's going on. I thought, this guy's going to kill me. 
And, um, you know, um, <laughs> that was like the, the story I heard about the man that was sleeping in church. <laughs> his, his wife nudged him, and he fell over and hit his head, and, and, and he got up, and he said, hit me again. I can still hear the man speaking. <laughs> and another man sleeping in church one time, he fell asleep, and the pastor said, if there's anybody out there that is a terrible sinner and an evil person, I want you to stand up right now. And the man jumped up, and he looked around, and he was the only one standing. And he looked up, he said, I don't know what's going on, Pastor, but you and I are the only two standing. I'm going to ask you, if God has laid on your heart a willingness not a specific ministry, but a willingness to serve. I'd like you to make a public profession of that today. Just stand with me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. And God bless you. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart today, then I pray that God will bless you abundantly for the willingness that you have shown to let God use you in the ministry that he has put you on the face of the earth, every one of you. Let me close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity to know and to serve you. Now, Father, I pray a very special blessing on these people that have been willing to stand, to be counted, and, Lord, to say, along with the others in the Bible, Lord, here I am. Father, take me. And so, Father, I pray that you would just lay within these people a willingness, Lord, to continue in the days ahead to be aware of the opportunity to share their Christianity, their testimony with someone around them, Lord. Whatever that ministry may be, whether it's part of the worship band, Father, serving and uh, teaching Sunday school, Lord, just the gift of helps. I'm so blessed as I look around at different ministries, Lord, that you brought up helpers to fix things, repair things around the church building. I thank you for that gift of helps. Now, Lord Jesus, I pray that you bless these people abundantly. As we go into communion, let us be reminded of the grace that you've bestowed on us by paying the penalty of our sin life, Lord, back at the cross. In your name we pray. Amen.